Vincent Werbeck's Derby. we're working our way through the book of Acts. And Acts, if you're kind of new to this God stuff, is, comes after the four stories of Jesus. You've got Matthew, Mark, Luke and John, and they're kind of four versions of the Jesus story. And at the end of those, Jesus dies on a cross, he's resurrected, and at the beginning of Acts, we find Jesus ascending into heaven. And the book of Acts is effectively the story of Jesus' followers, Jesus' disciples, the apostles, going out and sharing the story of Jesus across the whole of the known world. And uh, this week we're up to chapters 13 to 16. Last week Phil shared about two apostles who were in prison and one of them ends up uh, being killed and the other one gets miraculously released. So you've got James and Peter. And then um, what, the soldiers who are kind of looking after Peter, they then get killed. And then at the end of it, King Herod gets killed. So there was a whole bunch of death going on last week, which was just you know, quite an interesting story. And we follow straight on from that. And if we whack up the map, uh, this is kind of the area we're looking at. The purple one, which is the small, smallest one in the far right-hand corner, thing around Cyprus and then up into where Turkey is and across. That's the kind of area we're thinking about. And it's Paul's missionary journey. So he's known as Saul and becomes Paul. He's kind of got two names that happens a lot in the Scriptures. Um, but we're looking at his journey to go and tell people about Jesus. There's a whole bunch of things that happens in these chapters. And we're not going to be able to cover every bit of it. So if you've not read it before, and my knowledge of being in church is often if you're a Christian and you kind of know this story, you know the first bit quite well. But as you go on our Acts, your, kind of, your knowledge of it gets a little bit more sketchy. So I encourage you, go and check out chapters 13 to 16 because we're only going to skim them uh, this evening. Because we find there's an encounter with a sorcerer they meet a proconsul, whatever that is. There's a healing in Lystra, and then people try to sacrifice to Saul and Barnabas, which is awkward when you're trying to point towards Jesus and they think your Greek gods come down from heaven to kind of be with them. And there's lots of uh, preaching of the gospel. We find that going on all over the place. So it's an amazing few chapters. And uh, we're going to just pick out three things. So if you've got a Bible on you or a Bible app on your phone, if I can encourage you to turn to Acts chapter 13, and just to say, if you don't have a Bible, we would love to give you a Bible this evening. Over by this pillar uh, to my left, there's a whole bunch of Bibles. Uh, we really do believe that reading this thing will change your life. So if you don't have one, please do take one. You don't have to sign anything. It's our gift from us to you. Really, really important. So it's Acts chapter 13, verse 3. We're going to jump in and out and read some different bits as we go on. It says this. So after they had fasted and prayed, they placed their hands on them, and they sent them off. See, at the beginning of this chapter, we find Saul, stroke Paul, and Barnabas hanging out with other Christians. They've just returned from a, a mission they've been on, and we find them worshipping and fasting in the midst of, the God, of God speaking to them through the Holy Spirit. And they have this sense that God's saying, set these two guys apart, and then they lay hands on them, and they send them out. They pray them out. And if you've been around St. Werbergs for a while, and we have different people come from different church backgrounds, often at the end, we offer opportunities to receive prayer. And I know for some of us, we go, what on earth is that about? Why, why would we come forward and receive prayer? I thought we just prayed to God ourselves. And what we do is we often invite people to come up and we just will lay a hand on your shoulder and ask God to bless you. And the reason we do that is not because we've created some newfangled thing in the last 30 years we thought was a fun idea, because here in the scriptures, they lay hands on them and they pray for them. 
And you find Jesus doing it. Jesus welcomes the children to come to him and he lays his hands on them and he blesses them. So we're just doing what Jesus did and we're just doing what the early church did. Um, if you're wondering what on earth is going on there and what we're going to do at the end. In the prayers, Jenny mentioned that my wife and I, Rach, we're going to go and plant a new congregation in the church of St. Francis in Mackworth, which is on the west of the city of Derby. That's why we came up here to help plant this church and then to go out and plant a new church. And last week, I went over to St. Francis, and they do things a little bit differently than we do here. Um, so I put my dog collar on, which... Um, caused a little bit of a commotion when I rocked up at, at Werbs after the service. I think people weren't sure I was really ordained in the Church of England, but I am. Um, it wasn't fancy dress. Um, that'd be awkward, wouldn't it? Go to a party. What have you come as a vicar? I really am a vicar. Um, anyway, uh, at the end of the, the morning, I gave them an opportunity to ask me some questions. And they said, one of the guys said to me, he said, look, You've been at St. Werbo's for a little while and you started with this empty building and you've now grown to, to quite a bunch of people. What's the secret behind growing a church? And so I said to him, I said, look, I'm no church growth expert. I, I don't, you know, God's blessed it and there's a whole bunch of things. But it's got to start in prayer. It's got to start in prayer. It's got to start in prayer and it's got to continue in prayer. Growing his church is a work of God and therefore if we're not praying, we're not going to see it happen. And a number of years ago, I've shared before how Rachel and I, when we got married, and it was a very long time ago, some of you it was near when you were born, um, we moved onto a small estate on the edge of London. It was in the parish of the church that we went to. But nobody from this estate, it was half kind of social housing, half owned, nobody from that estate went to the church that we were part of. And so the vicar at the time, when we were thinking of getting married, said, well, why don't you guys move on to there and you can work out connecting with the estate and you can connect with people and you can bless it um, and do that. And, and miraculously, God provided us tens of thousands of pounds through some friends of ours, lent us some money, it was incredible, and we moved on to the estate. And we went, as I say, with this aim of building relationship and connecting with people. And for the first year, we were kind of getting used to like bills and being married and having to have our own stuff and cooking and commuting to work and... I'll be honest, we didn't do a lot of connecting with the estate in the first year. But a year in, I went to the fifth birthday of an organisation called 24-7 Prayer. And that was in London. They're a little bit older than that now, but that was their fifth birthday. And I'm not somebody who, when we kind of talk about listening to God and people get images in their mind or scriptures or pictures, I'm not somebody that gets that a lot. God kind of has to really shout at me for me to hear him. But on this occasion, we were worshipping and throughout the day, and I just had a real sense that God was saying, Andy, you've been there for a year, you need to really start praying for the estate. So I thought, okay, fine, you know, that's quite practical, I can do practical. So we ca I came back from that event, and that week, in the evening, I just began to walk around the estate. And I didn't know people very well then there, because we hadn't really connected with them, but I just began to pray God's blessing on it. Lord, let your kingdom come. Will you bless the people that live here? Will you bless the kids here? Lord, will you bless the teenagers that are messing around? Will you just kind of, we want to see you move. We want to see hearts soften. We want to see eyes open. We want to see you do what only you can do. And it got to the end of that week, and I've been walking around it each night just saying, God, you know, will you do stuff? And I was getting ready for bed, and it was quite late in the evening. And I began to hear noise in our stairwell at the bottom. There was a bunch of teenagers down there. I could smell the smoke rising up the stairwell and under our door and into our flat, which is a bit irritating, but that, that's what it was. And I just felt God say to me, Andy, you've been praying for a week. They're there. Get down there and speak to them. Now, here was me, relatively newly married, working at an office job in London, um, and there was a bunch of teenagers downstairs 
And we didn't have a lot in common, I'll be honest. Like my, my life was quite different to their life. But God said, go down. And so I jumped into some tracky bottoms and I went down and I started speaking to them. And I was, I was, quite, I was quite scared, to be honest. I did put a top on as well. I didn't just wear tracky bottoms. That would have been awkward. Right, just shift that. Ignore that. Cut, cut that from the recording. Um, but I went down and I was quite scared because I didn't know how they were going to respond. But off the back of that, that initial conversation, we began to build a relationship and we began to see God do stuff. And it happened off the back of a week of prayer. And as the weeks and months and years went on, I continued to, to walk around that estate and pray. And as the years went on, sometimes people got to know me as the guy that walked around the estate and pray. And they would be on their back and say, Andy, can you pray for this? Oh, that's Andy the Christian. Andy, can you pray for that? And we would, you know, and stuff would begin to happen. And it started in prayer. And Saul and Barnabas, we see in the beginning of chapter 13, they are prayed out. I've got three Ps tonight. They are prayed out. And for us, I've got the question, how are we praying us out? How are we praying one another out? Because apart from myself and Phil and a few of the staff team, most of us don't spend very much time in this building. We get together for a few hours every week and we sing some songs and we encounter God and then we go out. Most of us are in the the halls that we live in, we're in the lectures that we go to, we're in the offices that we work in, we're commuting around seeing clients or our mates in the pub or we're playing football or whatever it is that we do and we're spending our time out there in the city of Derby and beyond. And I want to ask us the question, how are we praying one another out into the city to see it transformed? It's my first P, prayed out. Let's jump on to chapter 14, verses 21 to 23. 14, 21 to 23. It says, They preached the gospel in that city and won a large number of disciples. Then they returned to Lystra, Iconium and Antioch strengthening the disciples and encouraging them to remain true to the faith. We must go through many hardships to enter the kingdom of God, they said. Paul and Barnabas appointed elders for them in each church and with prayer and fasting committed them to the Lord in whom they had put their trust. Time and time again in the book of Acts, we find them preaching the gospel. You you can't miss it. If you read through the book of Acts, I did this with a young person in um, South London in the church before words, and we just kind of worked through it systematically. And just every week, was oh yeah, they preached the gospel. Oh yeah, they preached the gospel. Wherever they went, they preached the gospel. But if you're like me, the word preach can have some negative connotations. You think of um, somebody on a street corner with a megaphone. You think of somebody in a pulpit preaching hellfire. You think of somebody who's incredibly dull and boring at the front of a church giving a kind of a monologue as people fall asleep. And you guys are doing really well, by the way. I'm really encouraged. It's a little bit dark at the back, but I'm encouraged so far. But that may be what we think about when we think about preaching. And yet, these guys, as they go out and they've got this story of Jesus, everywhere they go, they preach the gospel. And the gospel is good News. That's what gospel means. It just means good news. And do you notice it was in the city of Derba or Derby or Derby? It's very similar. It's not the city of Derby, but it, it kind of could be in my mind. So, what about this gospel? What about the gospel? There's a guy called uh, Martin Lloyd Jones. He's one of the greatest preachers of the 20th century, an amazing man of God. And he, he kind of tries to break down an understanding of gospel and he asks us to picture a king who is at war. So just kind of imagine a king at war, but the battle is raging on. The the, the war hasn't been won. And in that case, the king, rather than sending messengers with good news, 
the commanding officer might send some military advisors with strategies of what needs to be done in an ongoing battle. And Martin Lloyd-Jones, he compares that, the kind of the advice, the advisors, he compares that with the good news, the gospel of Jesus. He says, there's good advice of religion and there's the good news, the gospel of Jesus. Every other religion sends military advisors to people. Every other religion says that if you want to achieve salvation, you'll have to fight for your life. Every other religion is sending advice saying, here are the rights and rules, here's the kind of rituals you have to go through and the regulations. They're sending advice, they're sending military advisors, this is what you need to do. But we send messengers We send messengers about what Christ has done. Because Jesus cried out on the cross, it is finished. And so we can talk about what he's done. One of my favourite preachers says the gospel isn't a do, the gospel is what God has done. It's not what we have to do, it is what God has done. And so if you're here this evening and you're kind of hearing about this Jesus stuff, maybe for the first time or you haven't heard it for a long time and you think, oh, this is all the stuff I've got to do. No, the gospel is about what Jesus has done. In fact, there's a really helpful definition um, that I discovered this week which says this, through the person and work of Jesus Christ, God saves us, rescuing us from judgment for sin into fellowship with him and then restores the creation in which we can enjoy our new life together with him forever. You see, the gospel, the good news is personal because it's for us. Jesus died for us in our place for our sin in order that we can have relationship with God. But he didn't just save us from something, he saved us for something. God is one day going to renew all things, and he asks us to join us, to join him in that. So that's what Christ has done, and he asks us then to go and do that. But the gospel primarily is what Christ has done. And if you want to know more about that, loads of churches, this one included, run something called Alpha. We'd love to invite you on that. Come for a meal, watch a video and talk about it. I'd love to invite you to take one of these, Why Jesus. Um, There's some over the information desk and some down here. It just expands on this good news about Jesus. And every single one of us has to work out how do we respond to this good news. Because you can't kind of, the person next to you may have responded but actually every single one of us has to work out how we respond to that. And in this passage, we find something really interesting. We don't find just people rocking up at church. We find people, find the winning disciples. Now when you think of winning, don't think of trophies, but kind of winning them over, kind of taking on their understanding of who God is and how he's worked. They become disciples, and disciple simply means follower. What a church leader called Mike Breen says, if you make disciples, you always get the church. But if you make a church, you rarely get disciples. And so for us here, our mission is not about just making this building really nice. I mean, it's great that we've got carpet and we finally got heating, you know, in the middle of the heat wave the year after we joined. And the kitchen is now working so we can do um, food. And, you know, the meeting rooms have kind of come in and, you know, we've got some funky lights and, You know, things are beginning to be nice. But actually, that's not what it's about. It's about us being disciples, about us being followers in the way of Jesus of Nazareth. That's what he calls us to. And if you get that, then you get church. 
I often hear people say things like, I don't like organised religion. And if that's you here this evening, I understand that. Because it feels like not a few months go only you know, a few months go by and we hear of yet another failure of a Christian leader. You know, some horrendous thing around abuse, some horrendous thing about manipulation. The church's history is checkered to say the least. And if that's if you've been hurt by that, I want to say sorry this evening. The church is not perfect, made up of messed up people. And we often don't live like the one that we follow. But actually, what we find here with Paul and Barnabas in verse 23 is they appoint elders. So it's not just this kind of organic thing. There is a level of structure to it. As they kind of strengthen the church, as they encourage the church, as they plant out, which is our other P, they appoint elders to begin to lead the church. And within the Church of England, what we do is we get a bishop and they come and they lay hands on you and they ordain you. Um, and the word elder comes from the Greek presbyteros, and that can be translated priest or presbyter or elder. That's where we get it from. We didn't just kind of randomly make it up. Um, I know that can seem like that in the Church of England sometimes, um, but we didn't. And that's what happens. You end up with a, a kind of organization working out together, following Jesus. And so I want to encourage us that actually God never calls us to do this alone. with us here as we we see the planting of churches in these chapters us as a church we're going to plant into Mackworth Rachel and I are going to move in June and we're going to launch the new service in September but actually that we are praying is going to be the first of many we're going to plant into Mackworth and we're going to plant into the southeast of the city. And we're going to plant into the southwest of the city. And we're going to plant into the northeast of the city. Because our vision is a transformed city. And it's not because we're the only players on the block. There are a bunch of really good churches in Derby. And God is working through them. And we're playing our part in seeing the transformation of the city. But actually, we're praying that there's going to be the first of many. And for all of us, regardless of whether we come to Mackworth or one of the future plants or not, all of us are missionaries, wherever God has placed us. And all of us are kind of called to share that. Often you hear quoted, um, supposedly St. Francis of Assisi, who said, preach always, and if necessary, use words. Now I get the sentiment, our lives should match what we say, but there's a few problems with the statement. Firstly, he never said it, um, which might burst a few bubbles, but he didn't, um, which is awkward. Uh, the second thing is that he didn't do it. St. Francis of Assisi preached wherever he went. He was an incredible guy, but he always preached. He always told people about Jesus. And the third problem with it is, if we never say anything, then people might just think we're really nice people. They might just think we're compassionate and kind and up for justice and want to see the flourishing of the city just because we're nice people. And actually we have to say, actually it's not because we're particularly nice people, it's because God is incredible and he's worked in us and through us and he's using us to transform the city and beyond. And so we need to give commentary to why we do what we do. But if you're like me, often we get quite scared about sharing about Jesus because we don't want to offend people or we think they might ask questions that we don't know or we don't want to be considered weird or there's a whole bunch of different things that can go on. And so when I was thinking through this about the kind of the planting out and the, the kind of mission aspects of it, I've just got a few things that might be helpful that I think all of us can do in sharing about Jesus. We see in here that Paul shares the story of the Jewish people from Abraham through to Jesus. They had a story and he said, guys, Jesus is the fulfillment of this. And every one of you here, 
If you're a follower of Jesus, you have a story. It doesn't matter if in your background there are gangs and prison or Sunday school and confirmation. And you might have both. I mean, some people have both those stories together, which makes a lot of interesting conversation. But it doesn't matter. If Jesus is in the center, you have a story. I've lost count of the number of times people have said to me, Andy, I grew up in church. I just kept going to church. I don't really have a story. Yes, you do. Because if Jesus is in that story, you have a story because it's about him working in and through you. And so I want to say, could you share that story in a couple of minutes without using slightly odd Christian language? You know the slightly odd Christian language, you know, kind of, you know, not that I've been, you know, washed in the blood of the Lamb and expecting the eschaton as Christ returns. And people think that's a bit weird. Could you share, I mean, Bless our brothers and sisters. Um, but sometimes we do sound weird. I've I just got to be honest about that. But could you say it not being weird? And could you say it in a couple of minutes so that when you finish, they're not like, oh my goodness, thank goodness, I didn't mean to ask that question because 30 minutes later you're still going on about what God has done in your life. Could you share it briefly and then leave space so they can ask some more questions? I'd encourage you to give it a go. A few years ago, we did this with some of our young people in Penge. And we just kind of practice a couple of minute testimony. And the next day, Rachel and I went to the bank to set up an account for our kids. And it was just really funny. We had to go and it took a little bit of time. And the guy that was there he got asked and he found out I was a vicar. And he said, so why are you a Christian then? I was like, here we go. Two minute testimony. Off we go. And I got to use it the next day. It was just amazing. And then he turned to my wife. He turned to Rachel and he said, so did you grow up in church as well? She's like, well, actually, no, I didn't. I didn't grow up going to church at all. And then, bang, two-minute testimony again. And we just had the opportunity to share that, and we got into incredible conversation and um, ended up meeting up and going through some of the scriptures. And it was, it was amazing, actually. It was simply off the back of kind of practicing that and praying that God would open doors, and he did. So everyone's got a testimony. Two minutes, I encourage you to give it a go. Paul takes them through the big story of the Bible. And if you're part of the bit of the church that I'm part of, often we think we've got to take people to Alpha. Now, Alpha is good. I spend several months of the year wearing a jumper saying, talk to me about Alpha. I've kind of pushed out social media all over the place. Often it looks like I'm an Alpha-holic, okay? So I am not anti-Alpha. I love Alpha. Alpha is a wonderful thing. And if you've not done it, I'd love to invite you to that. But... um, there are other ways that God can use us to share about Jesus. And some of our more conservative brothers and sisters are very good at taking people through a gospel. You know, they just kind of all read one-to-one. They'll get together, go to a pub or a coffee shop, and you'll just read a chapter of a gospel. And you take people straight to Jesus. And I know some of us think, oh my goodness, I don't know the answers to some of those questions. And sometimes it can be quite challenging. You go, oh, Jesus, why the heck did you say that? Like, now I've got to go and look at some commentaries, or I've got to go and speak to Jenny and find out what what was going on but actually it's just amazing and, and I you know when I first came here we came here to be part of this church and part of the vision was to reach younger adults and students and you know lots of people coming of all different ages but there was a real kind of focus around that do you know who the first person I led to Jesus was it was a retired man in his se- it just turned 70 in Derby. That was the first person I had the privilege of leading to Jesus in Derby. Not who I thought we were heading for. I think God has a sense of humour. And the way that happened was we went to the Gospel of John together in Jack Rabbit's coffee shop just up the road. Just went through the Gospel of John together, chapter by chapter. And so if you're wondering how you might want to do that, 
our website, catch up, drop down, go to Discovery Bible Study. Really easy way. Some simple questions. You don't need a Bible teacher. You don't need a theology degree. You just need a Bible. And you can ask some simple questions. And if you get stuck, go and see Jenny. She's still in theological training. She knows all the answers. Really, really um, good. So, yeah, so it's easy two ways. And the other way, I mean, this is patronizing almost, but guys, we are the most connected generation that has ever lived. We have got, within this room, we are connected to 10, I don't know how many thousands of people across social media. And I was really convicted, if somebody looked at my social media profiles, would they know that I'm a follower of Jesus? Now, I don't mean being one of those people that just continually shares slightly awkward Christian memes. Um, some people do that. And some of them are quite good, and some of them are a little bit weird, um, and that's fine. But you know, kind of in the, in the expanse of all the kind of rubbish that we share on social media, and some of it is rubbish, isn't it? But um, all of that stuff, do we gently and clearly share about Jesus? Because it's so easy, it's free. don't have to pay anything to do it, and we can reach thousands of people just through the people gathered here tonight. Can I encourage you to think about that? Um, yeah, so these guys, they prayed out, they planted out as they preached, and the final P is pushed out. And I want to turn to chapter 15, verses 36 to 41. 15, 36 to 41. It says this. Sometime later, Paul said to Barnabas, let us go back and visit the believers in all the towns where we preach the word of the Lord and see how they are doing. Barnabas wanted to take John, also called Mark, with them. But Paul did not think it wise to take him because he had deserted them in Pamphylia and they had not continued with him in their work. They had such a sharp disagreement that they parted company. Barnabas took Mark and sailed for Cyprus, but Paul chose Silas and left, commended by the believers to the grace of the Lord. He went through Syria and Cilicia, strengthening the churches. So we've had being prayed out, we've had planting out. Oh yeah, do you like that? I found that yesterday. It was, there we go. Um, and this one is pushed out. And do you know what? I'm so encouraged by this little section of Scripture. I'm really encouraged by it because often we, um, we read the stories of Jesus or the early church and we think, we put on these kind of rose-tinted spectacles and we whack them on and we think, oh my goodness, the early church had it made. They were, they were healing the sick, they were raising the dead, they were preaching the gospel, they were ministering in the gifts of the Spirit, they were doing community together, they had everything in common, they were seeing thousands converted and people baptised. Wasn't this incredible? And yet actually, what I find here is amazing. They had the first church split. There's only two of them. I mean, that's quite incredible, isn't it? One takes somebody else with them, one takes another. They split up. And not only did they split up, it says they had a sharp disagreement. And I think the English is probably quite gentle in that because one of them goes up this way and one of them crosses a sea to get to Cyprus. They're completely the other way. I think they had probably quite a major disagreement with one another because they had to put a large stretch of water and dangerous travel between them. But actually God uses it. God uses even that to push them out to spread the gospel. And I find that so encouraging. Often, when I talk to people about St. Wurberg's, we'll have a chat and I will often say, I'll often say, we're not a perfect church. There are lots of good churches in Derby, but we're not a perfect church. And this is helpful because they split and we're not perfect. And the danger is that we swim 
in a culture of consumerism and individualism. We stream our favourite shows, we set up our own playlist, we put our headphones in. In fact, we can have exactly what we want, whenever we want, and we don't have to worry about anybody else. And if we're not careful, that can seep into our Christian faith. I want a church where there's deep Bible teaching, where the worship is incredible, where the presence of God is hovering in the room, where there's signs and wonders, where the pastoral care is so incredible, where everyone's looked after, but where they're missional and they're seeking to move out and plant churches and kind of they're going to the nations, where their welcome is amazing, where the coffee is on point vital for mission. And I've discovered fairy lights. Fairy lights seem to be so important for mission to Gen Z. I I don't know why it is. I think, you know, it just seems to work. Anyway, um, where was I? The danger is that we go looking for the perfect church. And there's no perfect church. And it's often said, if you find the perfect church, don't join it because you'll wreck it. If you find the perfect church, don't join it because you'll wreck it. And even back in these early days, these incredible apostles had a sharp disagreement. But God, in his grace, he uses it. And for us, as we look ahead to plant out into Mackworth, we're going to be prayed out, we're going to plant out, and there's going to be an extent to which we're pushed out. I hope not because of a sharp disagreement with Phil, although you never know, there's a few months and few discussions have got to happen. But I hope not, and I don't think it will. But actually, there will be pain in us going because we love you guys. We love being part of St. Wordberg. It is such a privilege to be part of a church like this. It's an odd experience for me because I now begin to feel old, and that's unusual in the Church of England, but it, it's true. Um, but it's just an incredible place to be. We've been such a privilege to be part of this place. And it's going to be hard for some people here as we go because they'll miss rage. Um, you know, I'm sure they will. Uh, but actually, for us as a church, it's a pain we're going to have to hold on to because we're going to do it again, and we're going to do it again, and we're going to do it again. And I've got this audacious dream that's beginning to kind of come into picture that actually St. Francis Mackworth will one day plant a church in Derby. That might seem crazy, and it feels a little bit crazy because we haven't even planted that. But Bishop Rick, when he, one of the bishops for church planting, when they planted St. Paul's Shadwell, the first service they had, they said, guys, we're going to plant a church. And they said, yeah, yeah, we are. It's our first service. And they said, no, we're going to plant another church. And I've just got a sense that that may be what God is saying to us here in Mackworth. And so as I come into land, because we need some time to allow the Holy Spirit to do what he wants to do, um, the result of us living on that estate at the very beginning was that we began to connect with people. We began to see children and families coming to the church off the estate where people hadn't. We had conversations about Jesus in the midst of people smoking joints and doing lines of coke. And I can say I didn't get involved, but I did talk about Jesus in that place. We saw the clearing up of the estate. We prayer walked around it. We had a Bible study in one of the flats where the lady asked about the book of Palms and who this Moses was. And genuinely she did. And when things kicked off and fights kicked off, we had to call the police. We got called down to find out what was going on. And when our friends went to prison, we went to visit them. And when people committed suicide, we went to the funerals. And it wasn't glamorous. And it wasn't dull. But we saw glimpses of the kingdom of God breaking out on John Newton Court in Welling. 
And Phil last week, he said, Lord, will you do it again? Lord, will you do it again? Because Rachel and I, in the place we were before, it started with a prayer walk. And we basically planted out into that estate. And God pushed us out. And our prayer for this city is that God will do it again and again and again. 